Hey Hope family. So good to be with you. As you can see, our location for this message is slightly different to our usual Sunday service setting. We had a small issue with our uh, video recording on Sunday, and so we're doing this as a catch-up. And I did just want to take this as a moment to say thank you so much to all of you who do uh, tune in and watch our YouTube or our other platforms. We just so appreciate you. Please know that we consider you as part of the family, and please just let us know how we can help you and serve you in any way. But I would love to start off by opening in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, just want to thank you for this time together. Thank you that you're here. Thank you that you are with us right now, wherever we're watching from. You're present and you're close. And I just pray that as we go through these moments together, you would speak, Holy Spirit. You would guide. You would direct. You would be so so with us as you always are, but we would experience you in just a, a really profound way. So we're so grateful to you, Lord Jesus. Would you do your work in our hearts today? your name we pray. Amen. Uh, now, I've spent the last few weeks really just asking the Lord what he would like us to go into over the next few months. What sort of series would he want us to cover? Where do we feel the church is at and where, where out of scripture can we most grow and develop as a church community? And again and again and again, I just felt the Lord leading me to the gospel of Mark. And it, it, it gives us such a clear picture of who Jesus is, why he came, the way that he lived. And that helps us to, uh, as Christ followers or explorers of faith, it helps us to dive a bit deeper and go, okay, Jesus, if that's the example you set, if that's what you cared about, that's what we should care about too. And so we're going to spend this term unpacking Mark. And we also have some special friends who are going to be coming from different churches. Vicar Stander, some of you might remember him. He was with us on the second week of our church plant just over seven months ago. And he, he's coming. He's going to be here in a few weeks' time. We, we can't wait to have him with us. And then Grant and Sue Crawford. Grant heads up a large multi-congregational church in South Africa, Durban, Cape Town, Peter Maritzburg. And Grant and Sue, just a lovely couple, helped us through the church plant process. And they're here to serve us as well in July. And we never want to do church in isolation. We might be a new church plant, but we so want to be connected and learning from and growing from uh, other people who are further ahead of us in, in the church race, but at the same time who, who just love us and care about us. They're our friends. And so we can't wait to have them with us. So those will be some breaks in the Gospel of Mark. But let's, let's dive into it. You know, Mark is called often the Gospel of Mark, and Gospel literally means the good news. And in the Christian faith, it refers to the good news of Jesus Christ and his reason for coming to earth. And so it's a proclamation of his life, of his death, of his resurrection. And it's central to Hope Church. It's central to every Christ follower. It's something we must never get tired of hearing about, but actually something that we go deeper into the more and more we get to know Jesus. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only thing that can change you and me. It's the only thing. And it's also the only thing that will never change. Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. And it's not something that we can tire of. And as I said just now, it's something that I want us to press into more and more deeply every day that we are alive. 
The more that you want to get to know Jesus, the more that you press into his wonderful grace over our lives, the more that you want to as well. It's the cycle that keeps getting more and more exciting. And I, I think the reason why I've just felt so drawn to this early on in our walk as a church journey is because we can have great Sunday services, we can have amazing music and brilliant setup team and wonderful coffee and good messages and excellent generosity and all those sorts of things. Those are great things. But if those ever become more important than Jesus, we miss what it means to be Christ followers. And we move into a place, a scary place, where we're in danger of becoming tick-the-box Christ followers or Christ followers who are after the next emotional high, the next interesting service, rather than those who are after an encounter with Jesus and Him alone. And if we move that way, we'll beat ourselves up with guilt when we fail. We'll praise ourselves instead of Jesus when we succeed. But we won't be changed. We will remain the same. And so if you're exploring faith today, I'm just so thrilled that you're here. I'm thrilled that you're checking us out online. Please let us know how we can help you, how we can serve you. The good news of Jesus is what Christian, uh, the Christian faith is all about. So the Gospel of Mark, it forms a part of the four Gospels that we find in Scripture. They are the biographies of Jesus' life from the perspective of different men. They each have different nuances, different ways that they saw how Jesus operated and how he lived because they were written by different characters, as would any reports of events that happen today. Different reporters will, will notice slightly different things, but they should pick up the same story, the holistic story of what happened. But all of these writers of the Gospels, the good news of Jesus, share the same goal, to honestly and reliably show us the person of Christ, why he came to earth, and what happened during his time here. Now scholars believe that John Mark was the apprentice to Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends. So Peter was one of closest friends, and, and they believe that John Mark, who wrote this, was uh, one of his apprentices. And although uh, we we do not know whether he was an eyewitness, how much he actually saw firsthand. He was so closely linked with Peter, who was one of the closest to Jesus, that we can have such confidence that what he is writing down is in line with what happened. And many historians believe that Mark was written before Luke and before Acts, um, placing it as one of the earliest writings about Jesus' life around AD 50. And if Jesus died around AD 33, that's only 17 years later, which means that when Mark was writing the, um, these and passing them down and scribes were passing them down, people would have been living at the same time that he was writing. And they would have easily discredited or discounted uh, everything that he had, um, had, had written down if it wasn't true. But they were living and this was accepted and it was accepted and passed down by many. And so we can have a huge amount of confidence in this message from Mark and in fact in the Gospels. You know, the Christian faith, there's a closer writing period to what happened than any other historical document that we find. And so there is an amazing sense of, of, of trusting in Jesus based on fact when it comes to the Christian faith. So for the next few weeks, we're going to be Mark's travel companion as he gathers information on the life of Jesus. And Mark is like a docudrama. There are snippets, highlights, key parts of speeches. Maybe it's a bit like Drive to Survive, if you can handle the language of that, or Full Swing, the golf one, the same sort of language. Or another Netflix or movie documentary where there's different snippets and somebody's checking in about the life of someone. And Mark's goal was to highlight 
both Jesus's actions and his teachings. But the reason why I wanted to highlight that is so that we understand Jesus's ministry and his mission. John Mark was also a companion of the Apostle Paul. That's some you may have heard about and Barnabas as well, who did many missionary journeys and Paul wrote much of the New Testament. And it was interesting that actually uh, Paul and John Mark had a, a bit of an altercation. And uh, it was because of the fact that John Mark had deserted them on a mystery trip. And so Paul's like, I can't trust this young guy. Maybe he's excited for God, but actually I can't trust or rely on him because he just bails when things get tough. But what's awesome to see is at the end of Paul's ministry from prison, he says, please, can you ask uh, John Mark to come to me? Because he's been a faithful servant and partner with me in ministry. And so isn't it beautiful that we can be young and we can uh, not um, be following as we should or we can bail when things get tough. But actually God completes the work he started in us. And so if that's your story at the moment, you've bailed or you've let people down, I just want you to look at Mark and go, but actually there's a beautiful end story that Jesus has for you. And Mark's ultimate goal is to present and defend Jesus' call for us to be disciples, to be students, to be followers of Jesus, not converts, but followers. And if he was able to do this effectively, it would help you and I and anybody else who reads the gospel of Mark to follow Jesus. You see, discipleship is about a relationship with Christ rather than a conduct for us to follow. And so today we're going to look at five points, five important introductions to the person of Christ. And in many ways, this is an introduction, the start of the gospel journey um, in, uh, through Mark. His arrival was planned. He was God in the flesh. Jesus was like us in every, every way, but he didn't sin. He had a mission, and then he calls you and I to join him on that mission. And so let's get down to the first one, is that his arrival was planned. And if you have your Bibles, I'd love you to turn to Mark. Otherwise, it's going to be on the screen for you to see. But this is what it says, Mark 1, verse 1 to 8. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness, and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him, and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So this first little bit that's quoted from Isaiah, it was many years before uh, this event obviously happened now some few hundred years ago that the, the prophet Isaiah was writing. And he said that there would be a messenger, which is John the Baptist, who would start to talk about the coming of Jesus. And he would start to say, there's somebody coming. Get ready. Somebody really, really important is coming. And so that was the role of John the Baptist. And this passage from Isaiah is what we call prophecy. It's a prophetic word. It's something said that comes to pass in the future. 
word spoken hundreds of years before. And there are prophecies, amazing prophecies, so clear about where Jesus would be born, about how he would die before crucifixion was even invented, about the fact that people would sort of cast lots or gamble for his clothing, about how many uh, pieces of silver or coins he, um, he would be betrayed for by Judas where he would, um, uh, would minister and do his ministry in what areas, and many more. And these things happened. They actually came to pass. And that alone is proof that the Bible, that God's word is no ordinary book. Statisticians, and I think I said that right, say that the chance, and this is secular, Christ-following, uh, mathematicians, statisticians, they say that the chance of Jesus fulfilling just eight, only eight, of the prophecy spoken about him is 1 times 10 to the power 17, or 1 in 1 quadrillion. Now, Peter Stoner, who wrote Science Speaks, he gives us a picture of just that kind of a number. This is what he says. He says, if we take 10 to the 17 silver dollars and we lay them on the face of Texas, pretty big state, they will cover all of the state two feet deep, about 60 centimeters deep. Now mark one of these silver dollars and stir the whole mass thoroughly across the whole of Texas. Now blindfold a man and tell him he can travel as far as he wishes, anywhere on the entire state, but he must pick up that one marked silver dollar. What chance would he have of getting the right one? That is the chance of Jesus fulfilling eight prophecies, and he fulfilled far more than that. And so... Wherever you are in your journey of faith, I want you to know today that you can trust Scripture, you can trust Jesus, you can place your faith in Jesus based on fact. You're not being unscientific, you are not being dumb, you're actually being wise, taking in the facts and making a decision based on that. A quick note on this messenger that we hear about here, that we hear, he was Jesus' rather strange cousin named John the Baptist. And um, I, I don't have to get you to do a show of hands, but maybe some of you here have a rather strange family member. Maybe someone who just doesn't quite fit the mold of society. And when you're out in public with them or when you're at your home, they might just say things or act in a way that's rather strange. They're just a little bit out there. Now, John was one of those people who didn't fit the ordinary mold. He was passionate about God and he loved to live in the bush. Maybe he was like a modern day Bear Grylls, if some of you have heard of that. But he did also kind of take things to extremes. So camel hair, that would have been kind of rough and yes, hopefully he smoothed it out on the skin, but he wore camel hair. I'm thankful that he put a belt on. So uh, we, he was all covered up, but he also ate locusts, excuse me, and honey. So you know, locusts and honey, I mean, honey maybe tastes nice, locusts, good protein, but he could have traveled into towns eating normal things, but, but he lived out in the bush. It, it was a way that he felt close to the Lord close to God's heart and so but he, he was definitely a bit on the edge he was a little bit of an interesting character however there was something about him that drew people towards him he had a radical focus on God and his kingdom he was humble he cared for others and their spiritual needs and for this reason God could use him his sole passion was to prepare people for the arrival of Jesus. He wanted people to be ready to receive him and he wanted to take all the focus off himself and put everything on Jesus. He said, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. That is how amazing the person is who is coming. You might be coming in your crowds to see me, but just wait for the one who is to come. 
There's one coming who is great, who is mighty, who won't just give you a set of rules or an external method like being baptized in water to live for him. He will change you from the inside out. I can't do that, but he will. He will make your spirit new. And just a quick encouragement. If you feel like you don't fit the mold, maybe you just feel, I just don't really know where I I fit in society, my passions and my gifts. I want you to know right now today, God wants to use you. Don't try to be someone else. Follow Jesus, follow him with all of your heart and let him use the gifts and abilities that he has given you. Stay humble, keep your heart on Christ, keep following your passions and just wait to see what he has planned in your life. So friends, coming to earth was planned by God, perfectly planned. It was no accident. It couldn't have come to pass without supernatural help. Jesus didn't get sent to earth instead of another planet accidentally like some sort of a Marvel movie. He didn't die on the cross because something went wrong in the story. He planned it all from start to finish. Secondly, he was God in the flesh. It says in those days, verse 9, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. When he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open, the spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And so Jesus comes down to get baptized by John to fulfill the prophecies that we have just been reading. But this would be a different baptism to everyone else. This would be a clear sign that this was no ordinary man. See, baptism was and is to show repentance, a change of lifestyle, a decision to follow God with all of our hearts. The difference was that before Christ came, it was done as an act of saying sorry, uh, apology, a physical demonstration of brokenness of heart and wanting to follow God. But now that Christ has come, when we get baptized and we've got one coming up in a few weeks in our Sunday services, we celebrate what Jesus has already done in our hearts, that he's already forgiven our sin and we get to live for him and shine for him on the back of it. We've been changed already. We are new people in Christ. And you see, as Jesus rose up out of the water, two amazing things happened. Firstly, God the Father spoke from heaven. He said, this is my son. I'm just so pleased with him. He's not a good person. He's not a prophet. He is God in the flesh. And God says that over you today. He says, you are my beloved son or daughter. I am well pleased with you. And notice Jesus hasn't done anything yet at all. He hasn't even started his ministry on earth. And yet the father is pleased. He loves him. I want you to know today that you don't have to earn the father's love. You don't have to earn it at all. He loves you as you are right now before you have done anything for him at all. Secondly, the spirit comes upon Jesus. Didn't actually come as a dove. It says like a dove. So this wonderful sense of peace and this wonderful sense of, of weighing down on him. The spirit came upon Jesus. A beautiful picture of the eternal son obeying the eternal father, being filled by the eternal spirit to achieve the ultimate mission. Friends, we can't live for Jesus without the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to receive the help and strength of the Holy Spirit just as Jesus did. Because the thing is, Jesus calls us to live a supernatural life, which means that we have to have supernatural, um, supernatural power. If we were just living an ordinary life, if this world was all that it was, well, we don't need any supernatural help because this is all that there is. But because there's a spiritual dimension to this world, 
because the spiritual is actually uh, more clear and more powerful than the physical. We need supernatural help to fulfill the purpose that he's called us to. So that's the second one, God in the flesh. The third one, Jesus was like us and yet perfect. Says verse 12, the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan and he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Now this is what you would expect at your peak in life at the start of ministry. Why would the spirit drive Jesus into the middle of nowhere? I mean, I thought he was about to start ministry to get sharing the good news. I mean, he has all of this truth to give. It's like an inventor of the most amazing cure or, or, or of a wonderful uh, life-changing invention who finds it out, who has the secret, and then heads off into the mountains to a cabin. For us in Zimbabwe, it would be a Nyangra or something, and spends 40 days there. Everyone would be saying, what are you doing? Why are you, you know, traveling out when you should be sharing this with everyone else? But there's some important principles God wants to show us in this moment. Firstly, we need to get rid of distractions in order to hear God clearly and build a relationship with him. You see, time alone with him must be priority in our lives. And Jesus was setting this example to say, time with my father, time being filled with the Holy Spirit before ministry is absolutely vital. So, so make priority with Jesus, um, uh, a, a great focus of your life. And then also we need to be stretched. We need to be tested. We need to be at a place of difficulty in order to grow character and be prepared for what lies ahead. You know, if you look at athletes, for them to perform at their peak performance, they go through testing, straining, their muscles grow, develop. Sometimes it feels a bit painful, but why? So they can perform at their peak. If you look at top business people who are after a product breakthrough, half the time they'll say, it was at the point I was about to give up that suddenly the breakthrough came. It was the point I kind of said, I've just had enough of this. And the breakthrough came. Why? Because we learn so much in those times. It's the same in the Christian faith. There will be wilderness moments in your life and mine to prepare us for what God has called us to. And if you feel like you're in a desert, stay close to God. He's working. He hasn't forgotten you. He is working. You see, Jesus felt what we felt. He was tempted to not follow God's plan. Satan came in and tempted him to say, oh, there's an easier way out. There's an easier way out. We can solve this problem. He got hungry, got tired. And so we can turn to him when we're going through difficulty because he understands. He was fully man and he was fully God. He got hurt. He got tired. He knew what we went through. And he knows what we're going through. So you can turn to him no matter what you're going through right now. Just as you're watching this, no matter what you're going through, he is close. You can call on him. See, we need to realize that there's a real enemy who wants to prevent us from fulfilling God's call on our lives. To distract us, to tempt us. You see, God tests us. Satan tempts us. God's testing is to make us stronger. Satan's tempting is to make us weaker and destroy us. There's a huge difference. To fix our eyes on life, um, that choices that help us rather than hurt us in the long run. They may look good on the, on the outset, but they can be coated poison that Satan wants to tempt us away from God's plan. So follow Christ. Ask the Spirit for his strength, his strength to say no to the work of the enemy and to say yes to Jesus. Last two, he was on a mission. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. 
So we see John arrested because of opposition to the gospel. Later he was killed uh, for that, uh, to the mission of God. And that continues to increase around the world. It's the same today. There are thousands around the world who are persecuted and killed for their faith. Not far from us in Zimbabwe, Nigeria. Thousands are killed for their faith. We're so blessed that we live in a place where we can follow Jesus openly, where we can carry a Bible with us. But I think sometimes that makes us quite lax in our faith. It makes us relaxed. It makes us a little bit soft. And I feel today that Jesus wants to challenge us to say, actually, there are people who are giving their lives for my gospel, just as John did, just as others did. And I want you to be prepared for what lies ahead. I want you to be prepared for the way the world is going, that it is anti-faith. It's a supernatural battle. It's light against darkness. It's why Jesus came. And it's coming quickly. If we look in our world in the battle for sexuality, if we look in our world for the battle for truth, it's here. And if you make a stand as a church leader, individually, you might be ridiculed. Your, your kids might be kicked out of school. They might be mocked. It's coming. It's coming rapidly to the places in our world where we feel that the Christian faith is open. Actually, no, it's going to become more and more closed. And we need to be ready to stand for what we believe in. See, Jesus came to usher in the kingdom of God, to bring about the rule and reign of God in the hearts of men. The breakout of the kingdom on earth to show us a glimpse of what the world was supposed to be like and what it will be like one day in heaven. He came to pay the price for your sin and mine, to set us free from the mess that is within our hearts. He acted out of love to save a people from sin so that we can live eternally with him. You know, if you don't know Jesus today and a friend's passed this on to you or you're just uh, exploring faith, I want you to know that you can know him today. If you're trying to live on your own terms, if you're trying to be a good person and trust that one day when you die, you'll be good enough, you won't. None of us will. None of us can reach God's standard. We can't earn our way into heaven. But, the beautiful but, we can repent, we can change direction, we can receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. We can be changed from the inside out. We can turn to follow Christ. And when we do that, everything changes. Everything can change for you right now. You can ask Jesus into your heart right now, this very moment. Everything can change. Wonderful. The final thing, he calls us to join him on that mission of his kingdom on earth and showing people the way. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting an end to the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. He immediately called them. They left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. You see, the mission of Jesus is greater than all else. And he calls us to give our lives, to give our resources, to give our time for that mission. A few things I just want to draw out of these verses here. First, he said, follow me. So first, he calls us. It's an invitation, not into a system, not religion, but to follow Jesus and to follow his ways. And I think sometimes we like to say that we follow Jesus, but we don't really like to follow his ways and what he's called us to. And, and this doesn't make logical sense. We don't say, oh, I love KFC or I love McDonald's and then never, ever eat it. That's not logical. Or I love the beach. But then every holiday you travel to places where there's snow. No, when we're called to follow Jesus, we, we say that we follow him and we follow the person. But we actually then follow what he does. We buy into what he calls us to. So he says, follow me. 
And then next, he says, I will make you. This is so encouraging. He does the work. He strengthens us. He shapes us. He molds us. This is not self-help. This is life transformation. We rely on him. He's the one who helps us to live out the mission. And then he says, fishes of men to make followers. It's why we're alive. Everything else we do is a tool. It's a mechanism to see disciples, followers of Jesus made. Every gift we've been given by Jesus is for this cause. And so how's your heart doing in this regard? Are you able to say, yes, that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm fishing for people. The way that I do my business is so that I can fish for people. The way that we do family is so we can fish for people. The way we do church is so that we can fish for people to see disciples made. Is that our heart? Is that the orientation of our personal lives, our family, our business, our resources? And this wonderful thing which says immediately they followed. There's a cost. They left their careers. There was a parting with family as they went on mission. I'm not saying it has to be like that for all of us. It might be a change of perspective in our business, perspective in, in what we're doing in the nation in which we're living. But there's most definitely a cost to following Jesus. We cannot follow Jesus on our own terms. Some of us are fighting Jesus' plan for our lives. We're trying to do both. We're trying to put him in the driving seat, but we're also trying to grab the steering wheel. We're trying to also drive. And he's saying, let's go this way. And you're sort of pulling the other way. And you're getting frustrated. You're getting annoyed in the Christian faith. Can I encourage you, if you give him everything, give him that steering wheel. He's the best person to trust. Give him that steering wheel and then enjoy the wild, faith-filled ride. It's not going to be easy. There is a cost, but it's going to be thrilling, exciting, and purposeful. Friends, there's no sitting on the fence when it comes to Jesus. We're all in. We're all out, but there's no in between. And you might say, but Craig, that isn't really fair. Can't I just have a bit of both? Can't I spend my life living partly for Jesus and partly against? Living on the fence without making a clear decision. I kind of feel that that's a little bit safer. Friends, there's no sitting on the fence when it comes to Jesus. We are all in or we're all out, but there's no in between. And you might say, but that isn't really fair, Craig. I mean, can't I just do both? Can't I live for Jesus a little bit, but also live for myself a little bit? Can't I be involved in both aspects? Can't I spend my life partly living for Jesus, partly against, and never really make a clear decision? And the answer is you can't. And I think in life, we all know that we can't. Imagine uh, our marriages and how they turn out, and sadly, how many do turn out around the world if we say, I'm going to do marriage 48%. I'm going to give 48% effort to my marriage. How's that going to work out? Not so good. Or maybe raising our children and saying, we want to parent our kids, but we want to do a 51% job. If we give them half, a little bit over half of our best efforts, they're going to turn out okay. They won't turn out okay, and they don't turn out okay. We see that in life. Or maybe business. I, wanted, I want my business to thrive. I want it to do so well. And so I'm, I'm going to give it 49% of my, my effort and my time and my focus. That business is not going to thrive. So we know this in life. We know that we have to go all in if we want something to go well. And it is the same in our faith. And in fact, this should have an even greater weight because it, it affects all eternity and in fact, everything else we do. Following Jesus has a great impact on our families, on our parenting, on our businesses. And so there's no sitting on the fence. I want to challenge you to go all in. Give him 100% today. Release control. Follow him wholeheartedly, whatever the cost. It's worth it. And it is eternally worth it. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for this time that we've had together. 
Thank you that you speak to us through screens. You speak to us ultimately through your word. Thank you, Jesus, that you came. Thank you that you have called us to a mission that affects eternities. Thank you that you planned coming to save us from our sin. Thank you that you've shown us what it's like to, to live on earth and to go through difficulties, to be tempted, to be tested, but, but to come out following you wholeheartedly. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've shown us what the mission is. And thank you that you invite us to join your mission. I pray for everybody, everybody listening, everybody watching right now. If we don't know you, that would give our lives to you wholeheartedly. If we've been trying to follow you 50%, that right now today, Holy Spirit, you'd give us the courage and the boldness to say yes, Lord, to 100%, to give you the steering wheel. Holy Spirit, would you show us right now in this moment things to change, things to focus on, perspectives to be different. And I thank you ultimately that you're the one who changes us. You're the one who transforms us. We don't do it on our own strength. We rest and rely on the great King who came, who died, who rose again for us. We want to be part of your everlasting kingdom. We want to give our lives for what matters most on earth. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us on this uh, delayed video time and just so appreciate you being part of Hope Church and the community. As I said earlier, let us know how we can get in touch. If you're exploring faith, feel free to ask questions both on um, through our different contact details you'll find at the bottom of the video. But we're really looking forward to seeing you next week and having you journey with us in the Gospel of Mark. Thanks so much.